Hello and welcome to your active Spin the Byline podcast. I am Evikiori and this week we will be focusing on the anti-money laundering and terrorism financing reform approved by the European Parliament. The recent scandals have pointed to the need for a more comprehensive and effective EU approach to monitoring money trails, financing of terrorism and an entire industry benefiting from illicit money laundering. But how are these practices threatening the economy, the existing financial system and the fair market? Anti-Money Laundering Authority, AMLA, is a new EU authority to fight money laundering and the financing of terrorism. The proposal for this authority was tabled for the first time by the European Commission in July 2021, and it was a part of a legislative package aiming at implementing the 2022 Action Plan for a comprehensive union policy on preventing money laundering and the financing of terrorism. Now, according to the proposal, the AMLA would be the centre of an integrated system composed of the authority itself and the national authorities. It would also support EU financial intelligence units and establish a cooperation mechanism among them. The Council achieved a partial political agreement on the proposal on the 29th of June 2022 and the co-rapporteurs issued their joint report in May 2022. And now, on the 28th of March 2023, these proposals were accepted after a vote by the Committee on Economic and Monetary Affairs and the Committee on Civil Liberties, Justice and Home Affairs. But what now? What is this new package voted by the European Parliament? Let's hear from the rapporteurs proposing this new authority. It's a package because it's uh, made up of three instruments. Uh, so we have two of them, which is a regulation and directive that basically will make up the rule book. Uh, on uh, anti-money laundering and um, counter-terrorism um, financing. Uh, and on the other side, we voted on AMLA. Eva-Maria Popcheva is member of the European Parliament with the Renew Europe Group and rapporteur on the Authority for Anti-Money Laundering and Countering the Financing of Terrorism Regulation. And AMLA is actually a new authority that we're going to create at EU level, so a European authority, against money laundering and also against financing of terrorism. Uh, and this is what we voted with a sweeping majority in those two committees. Uh, basically, the parliament adopted its position on this uh, package. And with our position, now we will go into the negotiations with the Council of Ministers, basically with the member states. The Parliament wants to go longer and deeper than the original Commission proposal was a year and a half ago. There are several teams where Parliament has its own opinion, and uh, one of them is the question of the beneficial ownership. We want to know who is really benefiting from the transfers. Eero Einalwoma is member of the European Parliament with the group of the Progressive Alliance of Socialists and Democrats, and he's also rapporteur on prevention of the use of the financial system for purposes of money laundering or terrorist financing. Nowadays, it's hidden in the in the complicated uh, ownership structures, and now we want these structures open. Uh, at the same time, uh, we want to be sure that uh, all the registers uh, are public so that people who have interest, legitimate interest, like, for example, journalists, they can get information who is owning um, property. And then uh, we want to restrict the use of cash. Cash is still used in, in quite many criminal activities. 
and we want to put a threshold of 7,000 euros in grants in cash transactions. Money laundering and terrorism financing are threatening and harming the economy, the existing financial system and the market in many different ways. The percentages of losses from this illicit activity are extremely high, something that pushes for immediate action from the authorities. It is a big uh, uh, economic loss, actually, that we experienced through uh, money laundering. Um, in 2017, so and since then, actually, money laundering has only increased. Europol, for example, estimated that um, we lose basically some 1% of European, of EU GDP through, um, through, through money laundering. And, you know, I mean, 1% of GDP, that's basically the EU budget. So we lose an entire... Uh, EU budget for seven years. This is the multi-annual uh, financial framework, which is 1% of the, of the EU's GDP. We lose through, through money laundering. So it's really high time that we uh, tackle this issue uh, effectively so that we really um, stop, uh, um, you know, uh, just having this, this enormous economic loss. But also in terms of, um, you know, I would say in terms of democracy, inequality and injustice, because obviously dirty money um, is very much used, very often used for corruption, for example. Huh? So also in terms of now in the context of Qatargate, um, that you know, in the European Parliament, so we are particularly also looking into this kind of measures that we can crack down on, on money laundering, for example, because it's uh, uh, dirty, dirty money is, is really used to, to corrupt, to, to, um, to also um, insert or to assert a certain influence. Um, so it is also important for our democratic processes. Um, and of course, also to prevent uh, inequality and injustice, because, you know, uh, basically uh, criminals are using um, uh, this, this ways in order to, um, to make profit, while uh, citizens in the times we are living in are having difficulties to, to make ends meet. We have had several directives without real effect on, on what is happening on the ground. And if you think that the uh, United Nations estimate, estimates that uh, the money laundered is around 2% to 5% of GDP, it tells something about the, about the importance of this team. In Europe, it has been said earlier that it could be between 1% and 2%. Big figures, which means that, uh, that they are out of, uh, out of the Taxman's uh, information, and then also it means that uh, nowadays it's more and more security question. We also asked Roland Papp, senior policy officer working on illicit financial flows at Transparency International EU, where is the best place to get a decent overview of the current extent to which the financial systems in the EU are used for money laundering and terrorist financing? Because we are talking about illicit uh, activities, it's really hard to grab and try to pin down of what are we talking about. But according to different estimates, uh, Europol suggests that it's all about it's around two to five percent of the GDP which is being uh, moved into the illicit, uh, from the illicit activities to the legal uh, financial market. So we are talking about an enormous market. Um, it's a it has a huge impact on our societies as well. So of course, it's one thing to look at it and just these terms. And for sure, I can quote different type of numbers about billions of euro euros. But I think it is very important to understand that this money, this illegally, um, uh, this money which is illegal and it comes from criminal activities, it gets then to the normal financial system, 
and how it gets here. And the most important part while following the money trails are the people behind it. Investigations have shown that there is an entire industry set and benefiting from illicit money laundering. The problem is that the money just doesn't move by itself. There are always people who are moving it. And we need to look into who exactly are these people who are helping this money to be moved. Um, and what we find from different leaks, for example, the Pandora Papers, Panama Papers, and all these different leaks suggest clearly that there is a, a whole industry behind this. So if you are rich, if you have a lot of money, which you got it somehow from organized crime, for corruption, then there is an industry all around Europe and the Western world and also in some other uh, economies, uh, for example, Dubai, I can mention, where there's a whole industry of people, lawyers, accountants, bankers, who are really really ready to help you. Whatever you're, you, you've done before, however you get their money, they will make sure that you can enjoy the, the benefit of your crimes in a legal and nice way, and they will just hide your traces. You're listening to Euractiv's Beyond the Byline podcast. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter on euractiv.com slash newsletters. And if you want to expand your knowledge in other fields, you can listen to our tech podcast, agri-food podcast, and health podcast. And if you have any comments or ideas, please drop a line at podcast at euractiv.com. And it's clear that the anti-money laundering regulation will be a game changer. But how can it help the existing authorities fight the illicit money laundering and fill the gaps? I think the, the new uh, anti-money laundering authority is uh, going to have a very important role uh, for two different things. One is that, for example, how they actually do and go after um, the dirty money. So, for example, if I would go into a bank to say that I want to just put on my bank account 10 million euros from cash, then those bankers will fill out a so-called suspicious transaction report. And then in the national system, the so-called financial intelligence units are going to follow up and probably they will come for me because hopefully the bank would report that such activity if my lawful income, uh, uh, legal income is, is much, much lower than that. Um, but then the problem is that, that of course, these organized cr criminals and kleptocrats Thanks to this, uh, especially thanks to this uh, international industry, which I have mentioned, um, they're really working globally. So what we've seen many times is that one national authority is really hard to, uh, is just not able to do much because they don't have information, they don't have resources, um, and it's really hard to, co to cooperate. Therefore, one part of it is that this new anti money laundering authority, the AMLA, is going to um, help to work to, uh, for work together all these uh, financial intelligence unit uh, from around the EU. Um, they can better share information, which is already happening, but in a, now in a much larger scale. Hopefully, they will be really able to coordinate their work, so not just really helping out each other, but really giving a, a European answer. This is one part. Another part is that, of course, all the rules are just as good as much they are followed up on and they are implemented. So let's say if there are banks which would never do uh, reporting if someone is just trying to, you know, place 10 million cash into a bank account without any justification. Then if the bank doesn't do it, hopefully there are national supervisors who would really go after it and check what's going on. And it's not only about banks, because under anti-money laundering rules, lawyers, accountants, tax advisors, notaries, all different kind of financial services are also included, but not to mention casinos, real estate agents, and many others. And these 
legal entities, so-called obliged entities, they need to follow these rules. To ensure that the rules are being followed and there is transparency, the MLA aims to supervise its operation in all member states and to track the activity of national supervisors as well. Well, AMLA will have uh, will directly supervise uh, some of the, uh, let's say, most risky uh, um, financial entities, which doesn't mean this is a blacklist, not at all. These are uh, normally very big uh, financial entities and banks uh, that operate in several member states. Uh, sometimes some of them have a lot of also uh, customers um, outside of the European Union, um, financial entities that have a lot of operation, also operations um, in, in, in certain countries. So um, this kind of financial entities will be supervised directly by AMLA, right? Uh, and AMLA will ensure that they have put in place, um, um, you know, uh, remedies so that they can avoid really being used for money laundering. And then on the other side, AMLA will also supervise national supervisors. So it will be also supervisor of supervisors. And this way it will also kind of implement uh, the common standards we have in the European Union. It will ensure that really all national supervisors are doing their their job the, 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 the right way. National cooperation, transparency and proper application of the MLA is what will determine its success nationally and on an EU level. Because that money, once it enters the single market, as you know, it basically can easily then move across the whole European Union. So if we have, let's say, even one weak link in the European Union, uh, this doesn't comply with the very high standards in terms of anti-money laundering, then this spreads over the whole of the European Union. And this is a problem we've had in the last years. We've had a lot of, you heard, I'm sure, about a lot of scandals, like with the Danske Bank, for example, uh, where, you know, we had uh, at certain point two national supervisors of Estonia and, and, and Denmark uh, that, that couldn't really agree uh, who should actually act and which competence it is. This is why I'm talking about national um, economic nationalism and we really have to, to avoid this. And this is why it's important to have an authority at EU level um, that, that can much more effectively also uh, supervise in particular, banks and financial authorities with a very high risk to be used for money laundering. For now, one of the priorities of the European Parliament regarding the Anti-Money Laundering Authority is to use the mechanism to push for the implementation of financial sanctions. A uh, lot of Russian money has uh, come to, to Europe and is influencing in our societies. And uh, this money is also a threat for the political system of, of the whole Union. So if we want to make sure that the, that the criminals doesn't benefit from the loopholes and if we want to make sure that the, the Russian oligarchs and the Russian politics does not have an effect on our societies, we must make changes. We also want to have, AMLA to have um, a role in the implementation of targeted financial sanctions as the ones that the European Union is imposing on Russia since its invasion of, of Ukraine. Uh, because let's face it, we are now at the, um, I think, the 10th package of sanctions against Russia. Um, and of course, it has those uh, packages of sanctions have had um, a, a very important effect, but not as much on the Russian economy as we would have actually liked it to, to have. I mean, the Russian economy is still producing and, and uh, buying um, ammunition and, and military equipment, and they're still um, uh, recruiting uh, um, uh, also soldiers from, uh, from, from, from other countries. And all this is paid basically through, through their economy. So it's obvious that 
we have a, a big issue with the circumvention of sanctions. And one of the obstacles for implementing the already imposed financial sanctions against Russian oligarchs was a lack of transparency on property ownership. I think it was very clear um, when we wanted to um, react for the genocidal war against Ukraine and when we started to put in place uh, the sanctions against those uh, criminals and the, and the people of Kremlin and the close circle of Putin who really are involved in this war. Um, and then once suddenly we just realized that we don't know what money they have here and they do not know what are the assets we have here. So that was a kind of realization for, for many people and including law enforcement authorities that of course you might see a yacht but you don't even know who it belongs to because on paper they are owned by different legal vehicles which are registered in some country, which on paper is owned by another entity, maybe that owns by a different trust. So at the end of the day, it is really hard to actually prove what is what asset is owned by whom and who are the real people who had the money and who are actually benefiting from that money. So I think that was a, there were some ridiculous accidents as well, like when the, when the German police um, tried to figure out who owns the yacht uh, uh, in, in Hamburg, in, uh, and there was a, a yacht in Hamburg, which everyone knew that it was uh, Mr. Usmanov's yacht because the press wrote about it. And But then the, the lawyer of Usmanov told the press that they shouldn't, they should not be seized it because they cannot prove it on paper that it actually belongs to him, to his client, which I think shows really the ridiculousness of these financial secrecy laws. And what currently is possible in this system is that we just don't know who owns what. There is a lot being done to fight corruption, with journalists and NGOs being on the forefront of the fight. Now the AMLA will provide more transparency and accessibility when it comes to financial information and property registrations. There was an um, European Court of Justice decision just last uh, end of last November when they said that this access to the public uh, is disproportionate. Uh, which meant that many of these uh, registers are shutting down, um, which is a very a huge problem for everyone, for journalists, for NGOs, but also for people who just want to do be, maybe a business with another business entity and they want to check who is who is really behind it. Now they don't have access to this. Um, and that was a really short-term bad situation what happened Um or like caused uh, problems throughout the EU because I believe now seven or eight countries already shut down their their public registry before, like since uh, the court judgment. And uh, right now, this um, new directive is also going to have some provisions which makes it, in a way, this di- the the new directive in line with the ECJ decision, which, by the way, was very clear on that that there are people such as journalists and civil society who are finding money laundering, who have legitimate interest to get this information because their work is very valuable when it comes to finding money laundering. Um, Therefore, I think what is very important is that this kind of decisions uh, is going to be mainstreamed and that soon, as soon as possible, we make sure that all the 27 member states have this registry in a way that uh, those who have legitimate interest they can already access. So we understand that the court decided this way, that they think that uh, the public, general public interest is too too big of a problem. 
Although I just want to point to Estonia and Latvia, for example, who are very proud, saying that this is not only about money laundering, it is much bigger. That's why they keep it open in a big data format. So you literally you can download and search for trends and search for, for, for any kind of uh, deeper analysis of the data. Um, but the point is that I think that one of the biggest and, and most important uh, point of this directive is how to make sure that there's still access of the beneficial ownership information to people who have legitimate interest. And this can uh, can have a, a short-term influence as well. But seeing progress will take time, and the rapporteurs are aware of the long process that just started from the European Parliament, but it has to be negotiated with the European Council as well before it can be applied nationally by the members of the European Union. We have now our mandate as a, as a parliament and we will now uh, engage in negotiations with the Council of uh, Ministers, uh, um, with, the, with the Swedish presidency basically, and uh, we will have to find the common ground. Um, I think on many of the aspects of, of, of the whole package, I would say, in AMLA, and also in AMLA in particular, we are not so far away. So, I'm, um, And also I think um, everybody also on the side of the member states, not only in the parliament, is very much aware that it's a very important package and AMLA in particular, uh, so that we really have to, to advance uh, very fast. Uh, it's a big priority here in the European Union, so um, I'm very optimistic that we can, you know, advance pretty fast. It will be hard and a lot of difficulties as always, but still I think that the scandals which we have heard is a great pressure uh, in favor of real and effective uh, reform, which is now the decision of the parliament. Thank you very much. I am Evikiori, and this was your Actives Beyond the Byline podcast. Visit your Active for the latest news, and if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do so on your favorite podcasting app. This episode was produced by myself, and I would like to thank our executive producer, Malte Kettelson. Thank you very much for tuning in today, and enjoy your Easter break.